Good evening. I hope you've had a great day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. I'm Big Voice Jay. This is the show where we get you ready for a good night's sleep with public domain short stories for kids and adults to enjoy. You can follow along as we read at twitch.tv slash bigvoicej. Tonight's story is The Eyes Have It by Philip K. Dick. It was quite by accident I discovered this incredible invasion of Earth by life forms from another planet. As yet I hadn't done anything about it. I can't think of anything to do. I wrote to the government, and they sent back a pamphlet on the repair and maintenance of frame houses. Anyhow, the whole thing is known. I'm not the first to discover it. Maybe it's even under control. I was sitting in my easy chair, idly turning the pages of a paper-backed book someone had left on the bus, when I came across the reference that first put me on the trail. For a moment, I didn't respond. It took some time for the full import to sink in. After I'd comprehended, it seemed odd I hadn't noticed it right away. The reference was clearly to a non-human species of incredible properties, not indigenous to Earth. A species, I hastened to point out, customarily masquerading as ordinary human beings. Their disguise, however, became transparent in the face of uh, following observations by the author. It was at once obvious the author knew everything, knew everything, and was taking it in his stride. The line, and I tremble remembering it even now, read, His eyes slowly moved about the room. Vague chills assailed me. I tried to picture the eyes. Did they roll like dimes? The passage indicated not. They seemed to move through the air and over the surface. Rather rapidly, apparently. No one in this story was surprised. That's what tipped me off. No sign of amazement at such an outrageous thing. Later, the matter was amplified. His eyes moved from person to person. There it was in a nutshell. The eyes had clearly come apart from the rest of them and were on their own. My heart pounded and my breath choked my windpipe. I had stumbled on an accidental mention of a totally unfamiliar race, obviously non-terrestrial. Yet, to the characters in the book, it was perfectly natural which suggested they belonged to the same species. And the author? A slow suspicion burned in my mind. The author was taking it rather too easily in his stride. Evidently, he felt this was quite a usual thing. He made absolutely no attempt to conceal the knowledge. The story continued. Presently, his eyes fastened on Julia. Julia, being a lady, had at least the breeding to feel indignant. She is described as blushing and knitting her brows angrily. At this I sighed with relief. They weren't all non-terrestrials. The narrative continues. Slowly, 
calmly. His eyes examined every inch of her. Great Scott! But here the girl turned and stomped off, and the matter ended. I lay back in my chair, gasping with horror. My wife and family regarded me in wonder. What's wrong, dear? my wife asked. I couldn't tell her. Knowledge like this was too much for the ordinary run-of-the-mill person. I had to keep it to myself. Nothing, I gasped. I leapt up, snatched the book, and hurried out of the room. In the garage, I continued reading. There was more. Trembling, I read the next revealing passage. He put his arm around Julia. Presently, she asked him if he would remove his arm. He immediately did so with a smile. It's not said what was done with her arm after the fellow had removed it. Maybe it was left standing upright in the corner. Maybe it was thrown away. I don't care. In any case, the full meaning was there, staring me right in the face. Here was a race of creatures capable of removing portions of their anatomy at will. Eyes, arms, and maybe more. Without batting an eyelash. My knowledge of biology came in handy at this point. Obviously, they were simple beings. Unicellular, some sort of primitive single-celled things. Beings no more developed than starfish. Starfish can do the same thing, you know. I read on. and came to this incredible revelation, tossed off coolly by the author without the faintest tremor. Outside the movie theater, we split up. Part of us went inside, just over to the cafe for dinner. Binary fission, obviously. Splitting in half and forming two entities. Probably each lower half went to the cafe, it being farther, and the upper halves to the movies. I read on, hands shaking. You really stumbled onto something here. My mind reeled as I made out this passage. I'm afraid there's no doubt about it. Poor Bibney has lost his head again. Which was followed by... And Bob says he has utterly no guts. Yet Bibney got around as well as the next person. The next person, however, was just as strange. He was soon described as... Totally lacking in brains. There was no doubt of the thing in the next passage. Julia, whom I had thought to be the one normal person, reveals herself as also being an alien life form similar to the rest. Quite deliberately, Julia had given her heart to the young man. It didn't relate what the final disposition of the organ was, but I didn't really care. It was evident Julia had gone right on living in her usual manner, like all the others in the book. Without heart, arms, eyes, brains, viscera, dividing up in two when the occasion demanded, without a qualm. Thereupon she gave him her hand. I sickened. The rascal now had her hand, as well as her heart. I shudder to think what he's done with them by this time. 
he took her arm. Not content to wait, he had to start dismantling her on his own. Flushing crimson, I slammed the book shut and leapt to my feet. But not in time to escape one last reference to those carefree bits of anatomy whose travels had only originally thrown me on the track. Her eyes followed him all the way down the road and across the meadow. I rushed from the garage and back inside the warm house, as if the accursed things were following me. My wife and children were playing Monopoly in the kitchen. I joined them and played with frantic fervor. Brow feverish, teeth chattering. I had had enough of the thing. I want to hear no more about it. Let them come on. Let them invade Earth. I don't want to get mixed up in it. I have absolutely no stomach for it. One of the things in the the day of the life of a pedant and a realist and a literalist Literal translation stuff will kill you sometimes. Just ask Beetlejuice. Remember to subscribe and review the podcast at bedtimewithbvj.buzzsprout.com or bedtimewithbvj.com Our next story The King and His Hawk by James Baldwin. Genghis Khan was a great king and a warrior. He led his army into China and Persia, and he conquered many lands in every country. Men told about his daring deeds, and they said that since Alexander the Great there had been no king like him. One morning when he was home from the wars, he rode out into the woods to have a day's sport. Many of his friends were with him, They rode out gaily, carrying their bows and arrows. Behind them came the servants with the hounds. It was a merry hunting party. The woods rang with their shouts and laughter. They expected to carry much game home in the evening. On the king's wrist sat his favorite hawk. For in those days, hawks were trained to hunt. At a word from their masters, they would fly high up into the air and look around for prey. If they chanced to see a deer or a rabbit, they would swoop down upon it swift as any arrow. All day long, Genghis Khan and his huntsmen rode through the woods. But they did not find as much game as they expected. Toward evening, they started for home. King had often ridden through the woods, and he knew all the paths. So while the rest of the party took the nearest way... He went by a longer road through a valley between two mountains. The day had been warm and the king was very thirsty. His pet hawk had just left his wrist and flown away. It would be sure to find its way home. The king rode slowly along. He had once seen a spring of clear water near this pathway. If he could only find it now. But the hot days of summer had dried up all the mountain brooks. 
At last, to his joy, he saw some water trickling down over the edge of a rock. He knew that there was a spring farther up. In the wet season, a swift stream of water always poured down there. But now it came only one drop at a time. The king leaped from his horse. He took a little silver cup from his hunting bag. He held it so as to catch the slowly falling drops. It took a long time to fill the cup, and the king was so thirsty that he could hardly wait. At last, it was nearly full. He put the cup to his lips and was about to drink. All at once there was a whirring sound in the air and the cup was knocked from his hands. The water was all spilled upon the ground. The king looked up to see who had done this thing. It was his pet hawk. The hawk flew back and forth a few times and then alighted along the rocks by the spring. The king picked up the cup and again held it to catch the trickling drops. This time he did not wait so long. When the cup was half full, he lifted it to his mouth. But before it had touched its lips, a hawk swooped down again and knocked it from his hands. And now the king began to grow angry. He tried again, and for the third time the hawk kept him from drinking. The king was now very angry indeed. How do you dare to act so, he cried. If I had you in my hands, I would wring your neck. Then he filled the cup again. But before he tried to drink, he drew his sword. Now, Sir Hawk, he said, this is the last time. He had hardly spoken before the hawk swooped down and knocked the cup from his hand. But the king was looking for this. With a quick sweep of the sword, he struck the bird as it passed. The next moment the poor hawk lay bleeding and dying at its master's feet. That is what you get for your pains, said Genghis Khan. But when he looked for his cup, he found that it had fallen between two rocks, or he could not reach it. At any rate, I will have a drink from that spring, he said to himself. Well, then he began to climb the steep bank to the place from which the water trickled. It was hard work, and the higher he climbed, the thirstier he became. At last he reached the place. There indeed was a pool of water, but what was that lying in the pool and almost filling it? It was a huge, dead snake of the most poisonous kind. The king stopped. He forgot his thirst. He thought only of the poor dead bird lying on the ground below him. The hawk saved my life, he cried. And how did I repay him? He was my best friend, and I have killed him. He clambered down the bank, took the bird up gently, and laid it in his hunting bag. And he mounted his horse and rode swiftly home. He said to himself, I have learned a sad lesson today. And that is never to do anything in anger. You could also learn 
Maybe it's time to get you some delicious beverages to take with you on the go. Perhaps some White Claw. There's no laws when you're on claws, don't you know? That's science. Our final story is The Little Thief in the Pantry. Mother dear, said a little mouse one day, I think the people in our house must be very kind, don't you? They leave such nice things for us in the larder. There was a twinkle in the mother's eye as she replied, Well, my child, no doubt they are very well in their way, but I don't think they are quite as fond of us as you seem to think. Now remember, Greyriskas, I have absolutely forbidden you to put your nose above the ground unless I am with you. For kind as the people are, I shouldn't be at all surprised if they tried to catch you. Grey Whiskers twitched his tail with scorn. He was quite sure he knew how to take care of himself, and he did not mean to trot meekly after his mother's tail all his life. So as soon as she curled herself up for an afternoon nap, he stole away and scampered across the pantry shelves. Ah, here was something particularly good today. A large iced cake stood far back upon the shelf, and Grey Whiskers licked his lips as he sniffed it. Across the top of the cake, there were words written in pink sugar. But as Grey Whiskers could not read, he did not know that he was nibbling at Little Miss Ethel's birthday cake. But he did feel a little guilty when he heard his mother calling. Off he ran and was back in the rest. Off he ran and was back in the nest again by the time his mother had finished rubbing her eyes after her nap. She took Grey Whiskers up to the pantry then, and when she saw the hole in the cake, she seemed a little annoyed. Some mouse has evidently been here before us, she said. But, of course, she never guessed that it was her own little son. The next day, the naughty little mouse again popped up to the pantry where his mother was asleep. But, at first, he could find nothing at all to eat. Though there was a most delicious smell of toasted cheese. Presently, he found a dear little wooden house. And there hung the cheese just inside it. In ran Grey Whiskers, but oh, click, went the little wooden house, and Mousie was caught fast in a trap. When the morning came, the cook, who had set the trap, lifted it from the shelf, and then called a pretty little girl to come and see the thief who had eaten her cake. What are you going to do with him? asked Ethel. Why... Drown him, my dear, to be sure. The tears came into the girl's pretty little eyes. You didn't know it was stealing, did you, Mousy dear? She said. No, squeaked Grey Whisker sadly. Indeed, I didn't. Cook's back was turned for a moment. And in that moment, tender-hearted little Ethel lifted the lid of the trap and out popped Mousy. Oh, how quickly he ran home to his mother, and how she comforted 
and petted him until he began to forget his fright. And then she made him promise never to disobey her again. You may be sure he never did. Always remember, sometimes parents know best, even if you don't think they do. Sometimes the mercy of a little child is all that you really need. Those are our stories for tonight. If you have something you'd like for me to read, or you want more, or you have comments or questions, you can email me, bigvoicej at gmail.com and join us if you want to read along with us at twitch.tv slash bigvoicej. Please remember to subscribe and give us a nice review of the podcast at bedtimewithbvj.com Thanks for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs)